0: Hello and Namaste. I'm Peter Furco and this is Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. In today's episode, I have a delightful conversation with Rachel Zinman and John Wedipole, two teachers from the other side of the world both of whom have a rich connection to Ishta Yoga, as well as other yoga practices. Rachel has turned her attention lately to helping people with diabetes through yoga and a new book. First, though, I want to tell you about the the behind-the-scenes of Peter's podcast. As I meander from the Oceanside Village of Freeport on Long Island, to Brooklyn, to Manhattan, and destinations outside New York, I'm carting a portable recording studio and looking for interesting conversations that help foster actual happiness and a deeper engagement with living. I love adding these podcast conversations to my class and training teachings, and I hope you think it's valuable too. Many of you have already supported me on Patreon, and I thank you. I added a premium item to the rewards, one-hour monthly sessions with me via FaceTime or Skype, It's a way to personalize your practice and help process what's going on along your life's journey. In our first segment today, we're heading to the espresso corner of my kitchen for cappuccino Q&A, where if you subscribe for the price of a frothy coffee, your questions get answered on the podcast. In a follow-up to episode 16, From Bad News to Actual Happiness, I received a question from one of my Cappuccino level subscribers. The topic was discerning which problems are in your orbit so you can act on those and don't frustrate yourself worrying about the rest. This subscriber asked, How does one answer the question of what amount of action is enough? For example, Puerto Rico. I donated, but is that enough? I could do more without unbalancing myself, but... Which concerns does one put first? and how much work is too much, and how much is not enough? This is such a good question. My answer might sound evasive, and I apologize in advance, but it's that enough is enough. Alan Finger uses an analogy about hammering a nail. You drive a nail with enough force and repetition to set the head flush with the wood. There's no answer like hit the nail four times. It's something interactive between the carpenter and this particular piece of wood. Too little and the head protrudes. Too much and you'll damage the wood. When we tackle something, we have to use all our senses, including that sixth sense of intuition, to discern what to do and when we've done enough. Then we have to trust ourselves and our role in life, meaning what we sense our job to be. For instance, the head of FEMA has a different responsibility toward making sure everything is dealt with. We may not have that level of responsibility for this problem. We can check back and see if our effort is working and adjust our actions, but too much of that is akin to digging up a seed you've planted every day to see if it's growing. It's counterproductive. And productive is not always about the outcome, but about the action the Woman's March is an excellent example of that. It was a powerful action of itself. In episode 17, Trina Morris described how she tapped into meditation to help her decide how to address the challenges black men in America are facing and emerge with her answer about the right amount to do. Meditation helps you trust your feelings of inspiration and balance them with your intellect to come to effective actions. Then you can act and let go, not worry. Act again when you feel it's right, or know you did your part and focus on what's in front of you. Rachel Zinman has been practicing, teaching, and training teachers for decades. She studied with Alan Finger and Mark Whitwell, as well as immersing herself in the study of Vedanta Yoga philosophy. Rachel recently authored Yoga for Diabetes, How to Manage Your Health with Yoga and Ayurveda. She writes for many online and print publications, including Australian Yoga Journal and Australian Yoga Life. John Wedipole is a teacher, musician, vagabond, and self-described rogan rascal. He opened his first yoga studio in South Africa in 1969, then he traveled to India and met his masters through whose grace he assimilated the knowledge of Upanishadic wisdom. John teaches self-knowledge, Atma Vidya, the jewel of Advaita Vedanta, and Kriya Yoga. He also shares his love of music in the joy and devotion of Kirtan. Rachel was a trainer in my own teacher training, and I'm honored to have a chance to catch up with this dynamic couple to talk deeply about yoga philosophy and how it serves life and helps address diabetes specifically. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Rachel. Hi, John. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. 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 So lovely to see you here in New York.
1: It's really great to be here.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah.
1: We're enjoying it in a kind of a crazy kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> After living in the middle of nowhere for uh, almost a year. so.
0: Yeah, and... You've lived so many places since you left New York. Yep. And where have you landed?
1: <laughs> where have I landed, or where have where I are been you now? Either okay. way. that's a really interesting question, right, John?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean we um, we've been living in South Africa for the last six months. Um,
0: where John is from. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: that's where John's from, and uh, we are also living in Australia. So we're basically living between South Africa and living in Australia. We work and teach in Australia, and we gestate and create in South Africa. And we're... um,
0: And you've been in Australia for a long time, so you have a larger business of yoga teaching Yeah, I've been
1: teaching yoga teacher training in Australia for, well, since I left Ishtar in 2004. So, how many years is that? 13 years? Yeah, Yeah, so I've been teaching teachers in Australia for 13 years. And um, touring and traveling to India, Bali, Japan, and Europe, and Europe yeah. very consistently for the last Europe for the last eleven years, mm-hmm. and teaching in trainings which are based in Ishta or other people's teacher trainings. Yeah, and mm-hmm. mainly teaching Ayurveda, and um, the chakras, and you know different subjects that we've had that you know that I learned through being with Ishta for yeah. the four years that I was there. Yeah. yeah.
0: And you're on a book tour right now.
1: Yep.
3: <laughs> why don't you tell us about your
1: book. Well, I've written a book on yoga for diabetes. And the reason why I wrote the book is because I have type 1 diabetes. I was diagnosed in 2008. Um, I didn't know when I was first diagnosed that I had type 1. I thought I had type 2 or pre diabetes because the symptoms weren't classic. I've since learned that. A lot of people are misdiagnosed, and a lot of people actually are diagnosed with adult-onset type 1 diabetes. It's not just for children. Mm. Um, And I guess I was really shocked because I'd been doing yoga, I'd been so healthy, and then all of a sudden I had this you know, sort of illness which is incurable. Nobody knows how to cure it and nobody knows how anybody gets it. Mm-hmm. But I have my theories mm-hmm. about how I was diagnosed or you know how mm-hmm. I contracted type mm-hmm. one.
0: And it's a insulin imbalance, how tell me Well explain okay, so what, type what one diabetes the basically
1: like. the pancreas doesn't produce insulin anymore. Mm-hmm. So the body attacks the beta cells which produce the insulin. And basically, the beta cells, cells shut down. So you can be in a honeymoon phase, which means you can produce a very small amount of insulin, but the prognosis isn't good. So mm-hmm. eventually, your body stops producing the insulin, and you have to inject insulin, which mimics, you know, the um, the effect of insulin. However, insulin doesn't solve the injectable insulin doesn't solve the problem because we can never really think like a pancreas.
0: Yeah and be so precisely calibrated. Yeah, so
1: you're always dealing with the stress of the body not responding the right way to insulin, either resisting the insulin that you're injecting or taking up too much insulin and then you've got these incredible highs and these incredible lows, which creates so much stress. Mm. And that's one reason why yoga is so incredible and effective for diabetes because we're dealing with so much cortisol Flowing Mm -hmm. through the system. And as we all know, yoga reduces that cortisol. So that's stress hormone. Yeah. So that's kind of why I wrote the book, because I really wanted people to have another tool in their toolkit to be able to deal with diabetes. Right. You know, because it's not, you know, it's not easy.
0: And you were diagnosed with this and. Were there symptoms that drove you to seek what something was up or you just kind of came upon it? I mean, is it something that people who might be listening or yoga teachers who might be listening would see
1: something? You won't won't see someone like with diabetes in a class. It's an invisible illness. mm -hmm. But, you know, if someone has type one, they might have... They might wear a continuous glucose monitor on their arm that will beep to alarm them if right. their blood sugar goes low because they can't feel when a low is coming mm-hmm. on. Um, you might see someone wearing a pump. You might see someone um, taking you know, glucose tabs and things like that to bring up their blood sugar but basically like for me personally i didn't i had symptoms that were nothing to do with diabetes i had mm-hmm. digestive issues i had skin rashes i had anxiety i had urinary tract infections. And I kept thinking, you know, there's something global, ro- globally wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And I kept going to different health practitioners. And basically the bottom line was, I was told I was a hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. And that I didn't really have di- anything wrong with me. Right. And then one day I just collapsed. Like I couldn't get out of bed. And I was already feeling like quite hypoglycemic, like dizzy when I was eating dates. Um, sweet things but i have this sweet taste on my tongue i would get spaced out and super hungry and what happens when your beta cells are dying is you get something called reactive hypoglycemia so you get you get too much insulin going in as they're dying they're like releasing insulin Mm -hmm. so then you have all these episodes of hypoglycemia um so then eventually i had a blood test and it was picked up in the blood test Mm -hmm. and then because it was again this very slow onset um, it was hard to tell that it was type one. So I just kept trying to think it was type two. I kept trying to reverse it because type two is a different disease. They, they're, you know, we categorize them both as diabetes, but they're actually different diseases. One, your body produces the insulin, but due to your lifestyle, diet, whatever, and genetics, hmm. your body resists the insulin that you're producing and it doesn't get into the cell. Wow. So you can actually reverse that through. Making the body more changes. insulin sensitive through exercise, and that's why yoga is so awesome for type two as well. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, I know a lot about it. <laughs> yeah, clearly,
0: as you would hope, like, writing yeah. a book about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, using yoga for this, uh, just before we got on recording here, you started talking about how yoga, besides helping you deal with the diabetes now. It also was helpful in terms of you coming to terms with having such an illness.
1: Yeah, I think um, when I was first diagnosed, I just went into shock and denial. And I refused to accept that I had the disease. And like I said, I just did everything I could to reverse it.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but this is where John comes into the picture, because about maybe two years after my diagnosis, we we started chatting. Now. Just if, in case anybody doesn't know who John is, John is South African, mm-hmm. and um, is involved with the Ishta lineage. He was, um, and he can talk about it a bit more. But he was um, one of Manny and Alan Fingers' students back yeah. in the day, in mm-hmm. the '60s, yeah. um, and he was so passionate about yoga and understanding, you know, the roots of yoga that he actually went to India and studied the traditional system of knowledge um, called Vedanta. And so I met him while he was actually, had just come back from his studies. And I think he was starting to write. And um, we sort of met on Facebook, it's, mm-hmm. we didn't really meet on Facebook, we were introduced before that, but we started chatting on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And everything he was saying to me was just hitting home. And I was just um, so moved and touched that I, I really wanted to meet him, and eventually we did meet, and somehow we ended up together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went and we studied
0: call that karma.: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then I went and studied with his teacher in India. and um, it was at that point that a lot of the questions that I had, not just about my health and well-being, but just about life, the meaning of life, what is self. Um, who am I? Why am I here? What is my role in creation? All those questions were answered, and when I, once I understood that, then whatever comes my way, I realized I'm going to be okay, mm-hmm. and it just changed the way I responded to my um, my diagnosis. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a big, huge moment for me. Yeah, yeah.
0: John, can you talk a little bit about? Alan and Manny in the in the early days, in, back in the days, Rach <laughs> <laughs> said.
2: Yeah, I'm. I mean, I, I was brought into the yoga thing by through a girlfriend of mine at that age, of course. You know, uh, always, always, yes. yeah. Um, and Manny was very, very, you know, active in those days, and she and she took me into one of his satsangs on a Sunday. I think it was every second Sunday or every once every month or something. And <clears throat> I was a musician at the time. I was growing up playing music from the age of seven. And I went to him and I said... Still are a musician. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said to him, you know, I, it's like the tr- I'm the tree and the fruit comes out. So he said to me, yeah, he, before I even asked him the question, he said to me, you've been blessed in the second chakra. And you're the sign of the crocodile and all this kind of stuff. And I kept on talking and talking and saying, oh, but you know, I'm the tree and the fruit comes out. He said, I already told you, you've been blessed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then um, I went off and wandered around a bit more and finally came across Alan, on the farm out in the, in the Mahalisburg, which is just outside of Johannesburg. Again, for the same reason, I was there to go and visit this girlfriend of mine mm-hmm. and everybody was doing yoga. And I, they wanted me to join in, and I said, no, nah, I'm not really into this stuff, you know. <laughs> I've got my music, you know. I don't yeah. really need yoga, you know. I didn't want to know about it, actually. It was kind of, and now I'm not really into it. Yeah. Until, you know. Was
0: yoga an unusual thing at that time? Very. I know it, it was, was in, in the, the sixties. Yeah,
2: time. it was in 68, 69. Mm-hmm. It was in 1969, yeah. But prior to seeing Alan, I had got into some kind of, Not conflict, but, you know, I wanted to clarify a few things. So I had actually phoned Manny and said I would like to see him personally, you know. I never made the appointment. (laughs) But um, later on, uh, when I was with Alan on the farm, we started. I started doing yoga after a whole lot of things came into place. It was like I was checkmate on the chessboard, you know. -hmm. I thought, all right, let me give it a go. And um, started doing yoga, and then it was like I'd never stopped, really. It yeah. was quite interesting. Um, and then Alan had me as, you know, had me teaching the class in about 10 days. I was teaching it. <laughs>
0: Old school. <laughs> which
2: is like Alan's <laughs> thing. You know? um, and taking the meditation and doing all kinds of stuff. So, and that kind of was weird, too. But, um, and, and during that time, we went back to the home with Alan. Um, we drove back one day to go and do some stuff at his house and, and there was Manny walking down the stairway in this big house, you know. And and Alan said, Manny this is your oh, dad, this is John, you know. And Manny walked down the stairs, he said, Oh, we finally caught the butterfly.
3: <laughs>
2: so that was that was our relationship, you know. Alan and Manny
1: But you also studied with Swami Nishraya Sananda Well they were all
2: around at the yeah. time. There was Swami Nishraya, Swami Vikatesh yeah. And uh, Sudhananda Bharati. Bharati. Yeah, who was around, also came in for two or three days. Um, he was amazing. I was, you know, doing as much as I could by that time to expose myself to these teachings and, mm-hmm. and so on. And then when Alan and Manny moved over to the States, then that kind of cut dry. And I, I went into music as a profession. mm mm-hmm. Um, And then, and also as a South African, we weren't allowed to go to India at that time. Mm-hmm. Had I been allowed to go, we had, having met Sudananda, I would have been you know, out of there like a shot. But it wasn't possible. Mm. So um, I had to wait until like around 2004. Once Mandela had come out of prison, then I was able to kind of go. And a friend of mine who was a Swami Yoga Saga, he said to me, why don't you come to my Guru's Ashram? So I said, okay, I'm coming.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and we went over. Was Swami Satyanand mm-hmm. Bihar School, mm-hmm. and I went primarily because Manny had been part of the Shivananda School, of, right? Of yoga, right? And I wanted to check out, you know, the kind of lineage of that. Swami thing.
0: Satyananda wrote, wrote a number of the books that Yeah, are, yeah, like he a pretty big, uh, yeah, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. yeah,
2: Bihar has, you know, asana Pranayama, mudra Pranayama, mm. that book. Mm-hmm. They've got tons of books. So I spent a lot of time in the ashram, became part of the ashram. Ah. Um, I was editing Swami Satyananda's satsangs as well on the ashram while I was there. Um, and then I, I was going to become part of the ashram. And, uh, I was you know, taking what they call karma sannyas. Uh, which is where you're active in the world, but you're not really, you mm. swa- sannyas yet. But then, and then they expected me to become Swami Ge- and all Gita that kind star of stuff. Hmm?
0: That's what the Gita is. is yeah, uh, karma sanyas. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then one day I said, no, I'm going. <laughs> I said, ah, you know, we thought you were going to take purna sanyas." And I said, no, well, I'm very happy in the world, ashram, right? uh-huh, and, you know. Uh-huh. And by that time, I'd already met my Vedanta master. So just
0: to clarify for anyone yeah, listening, yeah. so we're, we're talking about not going and being a monk and devoting oneself in a Swami style to mm. practice, but living in the world, but practicing yoga. So Absolutely. using the practices, but being out in the world active.
2: Yeah, which yeah. is basically Rach and I, our mission as well, I guess, in a way. is just to Because if this knowledge has to work, it has to work in in real life. Right. Know, what's the point otherwise? Right. Um, we might as well throw it away. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's our kind of take on the whole yeah. um, <clears> thing. <throat> so while I was with Satyananda, uh, I was actually back in Johannesburg um, for a trip and I met my Vedanta master, who I didn't know he was a Vedanta master at the time, Advaita. And someone had phoned me and said, you know, are you interested in meeting this guy? i always knew i was interested in meeting whoever swamis were coming into town <clears throat> and we went to spend the night together cooking and having fun and doing normal stuff and at the end of the evening he said to me well you're coming back to india why don't you come and do my course on my ashram you know which is in uh, Tiruvannamalai?" so i looked at him and i said so what is your course on <laughs> and he just threw up his hands and went yoga. <laughs> he
3: didn't say anything. He didn't
2: say yoga, nothing. He just went with his hands up in the air. And I looked at him, and I but we had got on so well during the evening. I just thought, okay, well, I think I'll make a plan. And so I went prior to going back to the Bihar ashram. I went back via Swami's Swamiji's ashram uh, in Chennai. Um, and so then I did a month course on uh, what he teaches, which is self-knowledge. Which, and, and during the beginning of the course, I didn't know what he was talking about. I had no idea uh-huh. what was going on. It had absolutely nothing to do with yoga. Hmm. And, and, uh, but about 10 days, it was a month course, about 10 days after I'd been there, suddenly the penny started to drop and I started to realize something really profound was, was being taught. Um, and by the end of the month, I was just blown away. Uh, and I didn't stop going back until 2011. Basically, mm. yeah. so
3: how
0: how many years was that? Seven
2: years. Ago. Wow! And yeah. I studied. So I spent seven years from 2005 studying with him on the ashram, with him teaching self knowledge, which which is really the essence, the jewel of Advaita. You know, Vedanta teaches Vedanta, but uh, and Advaita teaches Advaita. Advaita but um, self knowledge is the kind of essence of <coughs> the teachings of Vedanta. And the teachings of the Upanishads, like the Upanishads, yeah, That self, is, the who
0: is, the of, self. is the essence of
2: the the essence of the Upanishads. And as you probably well aware, the Upanishads are part of the Vedas, and the Vedas, being the oldest um, texts or whatever, even before we wrote anything, we were, you know, orally transmitting the Vedas. And everybody thinks of the Vedas as the oldest uh, teachings of mankind. But in the Vedas is the Upanishads which the teachers say, perhaps, Mm
3: -hmm. are
2: older than the Vedas. Mm -hmm. Because self, obviously, is older than anything and outshines and survives everything. So, of course, the Upanishads are going to be older than the Mm -hmm. Vedas. Because in reality, the Vedas are relative, all to do with relative knowledge. And when you realize that Upanishadic wisdom has always been about the Mm. non-relative, that's where the difference lies. Um, and of course, going there on a relative basis, thinking of, you know, understanding things on a relative basis, uh, the, the knowledge is quite, you know, sort of a different story when it's getting taught. It's, it's quite interesting to go into what they call Paravidya. So relative is called Aparavidya, apparent, all mm-hmm. the knowledge of, of everything that, we have, that appears to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: Yeah.
2: Aparavidya, yeah. so that we get from all our teachers and really. relative knowledge. And then comes... Within the Maya. Exactly, yeah. So then comes wanting to know that which is not relative, you know, yeah. <laughs> which can't be seen, right? can't be touched, smelled, tasted, or anything like that, which yeah. is all to do with the self, which is the see I taste-er, touch smell and then through everything. Yes. So that's, that's where this Upanishadic wisdom kicks in, which is Paravidya, which is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And then so the teaching... Um, Traditionally, the teachings only been available in Sanskrit through orthodox teachers. And it was unusual because my teacher was a PhD in English. Hmm. And so it was very unusual to, to come across these teachings in English. Even today in India, it's still very unusual to come across these teachings and also to experience the teachings with a teacher who understands the methodology, because the methodology is what it's all about. Hmm. To lead the student from the relative to the absolute knowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. is a a methodology which has, like many things in India, you know, has gotten lost in the wash. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a group of guys, Swami Dayananda, who's an Advaita master, Swami Chinmayananda, but more the the newer guys, Swami Dayananda and Swami Sudananda, who are like, like the modern revivalists. Of the ancient methods of teaching, right? So he invited me on his um, Gurukulam course, which was also another unusual thing with his young usually Indian children, children, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was with the four other Indian boys <laughs> and me, um, and so and he took all the classes in English as well, and they wow. all came from Orissa; they didn't speak hardly any English. Yeah. <laughs> Which was so
0: amazing. they learned
3: English along the way.
2: Yeah, they had to take their classes in mm-hmm. English. Yeah. It was fascinating. Huh. So yeah. two years with him on the Gurukulam course. Yeah. Two, no. two, and, and then obviously then you know, I went finished and then he told me to start teaching, which I said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. But so the journey has been
0: beautiful. Did yeah. Did, uh, work with Rachel then?
1: Well, no, the story was that basically I went to the ashram and then his teacher said to me, can you please make John teach? (laughs) And... I'm like that. I'll if someone tells me to do something, I do it. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was like, okay, so we actually started including um, Atma Vidya as a subject on the teacher training uh-huh.
0: in Australia. in Australia. Yeah.
1: and yeah, and he started teaching in Munich on the teacher training in Munich, mm-hmm. and he's actually teaching in a lot of teacher trainings now as a as a separate kind of subject. So right. it's not really like philosophy and it's not the history of yoga. It's actually the pure teachings from the Upanishads mm-hmm. and it's just amazing because like I said you know the results for me in my own life with my disease you know kind of understanding that I have a disease but I can never be the disease
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know that applies to any aspect of your life yeah. so um, just the way you approach your life and a lot of these teachings which John hasn't said is that, um, is that it's a lot about looking at your thoughts and understanding the way your mind works and understanding your relationship to thinking. And, um, and that I think is a really great entry point for people because we all know that we have thoughts, mm-hmm. but we think we are our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And you know these teachings really show like I you that in the Yoga Sutra. Yeah, so clearly <laughs> yeah. that you cannot be your thoughts. Yeah. You can only be the one having the thoughts. Just like you know, you can't be your name. You can only yeah. be the one who has a name. And you know that John was mentioning this methodology. It's really about you know taking that mind and showing you exactly what you you know what you can't be. Mm-hmm. And through that. Everything is revealed. And um, yeah, it's just such an incredible, it's like such freedom. And I think for me with my health, you know, that was what I was longing for was like, I live with an incurable disease. I can never get away from it. So where's the freedom? And it had to come into, I had to have this you know, existential crisis in a way. Because it wasn't just like the crisis of my health. I also was in the middle of a divorce. My son had left home. I no longer had a house to live in. Like everything was just ripped away from me. Mm
3: -hmm. And
1: I think you had a similar crisis when you came to Swamiji as well. And it was in that crisis that I was just open. And my mind was ready. And that's another thing that, you know, we don't realize is our minds, we need to have a prepared mind. And that's where you know the yoga practices are so helpful because the, it prepares the mind to be open to actually listen because most of the time we're just listening to the thoughts in our head thinking we are our thoughts yeah. we're not actually listening and that's just a huge part of um, transformation and self-realization is the ability to listen yeah yeah, <laughs> We discuss that a lot. <laughs> who's actually... Who's listening? Yeah,
3: who's listening?
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean,
2: this thing of teaching is... My teacher, when I got back to the ashram, I think it was around about... He kept on pushing me to start teaching. And I mean, he, I got there in about 2008, was it? Or 10 or 9, I can't remember. And he said to me, what type of fire do you need under your ass?" you know, to get you to start teaching? And I, and I, and I sort of looked at him again and I said... I actually said to him, um, I'm not going to start teaching until I have a woman next to me.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I said, I'm going out in one of your orange clots, you know, right. to do it that way. And he looked at me, you know, and thought, oh, okay. And, and, and basically, yeah, I wanted to do it um, with, with someone mm-hmm. because I thought, you know, get rid of that whole playing field, you know, and just let's focus on the teachings. You right, know. right. So there's no distraction. No distraction, yeah, distraction exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then along came uh, Rachel. The woman by your side. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I forced myself yeah. into yeah. his life. <laughs>
2: it's yeah. been a beautiful journey. I mean, including the teachings. When, when, we, when Rachel says we put the teachings into our, into our teacher training, what we're doing is taking the manual, which is used on gurukulam called Tattva Bodh, which is a text by Shankara. And we use that over a period of six weeks And each day the class is taken through the teachings um, uh, in the traditional manner.
1: You know, you recite the verse, you you do an opening mantra, it's very traditional. Mm. And then, you know, there's a talk, there's no questions, you have to listen and take notes.
2: And then they have to hand their notes in. Know, so you can actually see that they're actually getting it, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. understanding. Understanding the train of thought, because that's that's the train, it's going down to mm-hmm. So So yeah. that, that's one of the things, and obviously, then in our workshops and things like that, we include a text, you know, like maybe Atmashatakam of Shankaras or...
1: Well, different, different texts, texts from you Shankara, know,
2: Some yeah. of the Upanishadic texts, you know, but what's
1: really interesting is you know someone sits down and they think okay well I've done this course now I'm going to sit down and do this course and actually the subject is always the same because the subject is the self
3: yeah, yeah. so <laughs> the
1: teaching is actually always the same but then it comes back to listening because you might have been listening but you didn't actually hear it so then you hear it and it goes deeper and so I've sat in on the talks for seven years Mm -hmm. every single talk sometimes three and four times a year and I and I still go wow I I never heard that before but he's saying exactly the same thing Mm -hmm. but I just wasn't listening
0: yeah I hope you're enjoying today's episode of Peter's podcast I'm making this podcast as a natural extension of teaching yoga and writing about topics important to me Using authentic yoga practice, theory and philosophy has made such a profound impact on my life that I wanna share it with you. The ability to find calm in times of stress, real happiness, purposeful work and balanced relationships is priceless. Rather than making you listen to random advertisements to fund this work, I'm asking you to value this content directly. Go to patreon.com peterspodcast to subscribe. I'm offering you ways to tailor the content of this podcast to you. Subscribe at any level you like. Take advantage of the rewards, like various opportunities to work one-on-one with me. Thank you for listening. Go to patreon.com slash peterspodcast. Did this concept get into the book that you wrote? Um, This idea of finding self, listening...
1: Yeah, so it is a little bit of the subject of my next book, Mm -hmm. but um, basically, I wanted to address thoughts. So, there is a chapter in the book on the mind and how the mind works,
2: thought management,
1: and how to manage your thoughts, because Mm -hmm. this is the big thing that someone with chronic illness struggles with. It's not the disease, it's not the management of the disease, it's dealing with the thoughts about the disease. Now this can apply to anyone. You don't have to have diabetes. Yeah. yeah? As soon as you know something goes. It's
0: about anything. that's Yeah. You. you could have mm-hmm.
1: anything. Mm-hmm. It's how you relate to your thoughts. So understanding how the mind works and understanding your thoughts is a, is a sort of key in relaxing. You know. So once you go okay, you know. And so, who
2: is having the thoughts?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't answer that question in the book, no. who's having the thoughts. Because like I said, that's a very complex subject. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but thoughts are a great place to start. And,
0: um, you know, I just left Alan's house. And um, we're, <laughs> we're often um, in the Ishta practices, like the, not the philosophy, but the practices, and maybe in the philosophy too, you know, also, trying to recognize that place where the thoughts are at that level of in the Maya, you know, in the manas, mm-hmm. and that there's this potential to connect with the true self, the observer, the whoever you're, who's listening, whatever, and then through that process, there is a shift, right? Mm-hmm. That the, the nature of being connected mm-hmm. changes you.
1: You know what's interesting, and this is the, the key thing that I really learned was there's a difference between thinking that you need to connect to something and actually reckon, recognizing yourself as that as thing, that. as that, yeah. as the, con- well, as would, the connection. I, so I would and,
0: say that's semantics, right yeah, now. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I,
1: the the practices are the reminder, and I really I always remember um, one of the first times I came to Alan's class and I don't even think it was Alan's class, I think it was Al Bingham's class, um, but it was like a theme that really ran through you know, everything, was that we would finish the class and he would say something like, and now I can't really remember it, but you probably can, like, and just remember you know, that feeling that you have, this is who you are, you know, or something like that. It was like, remember that everything is just a reminder you know, of who you are. And I think what happened for, you know, what what I've really seen is like the feeling that I have at the end of the practice, the peace, the calm, um, the sense of oneness, of wellness, you know, that is the nature of who we are. And we just forget it. So the practice just reminds us again and again and again and again, you know. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, hopefully, we can even see that, you know, the pra- we don't want to get lost in the practices because then we, we're sort of relying on the practice to have that feeling.
0: And that's just another game then. Yeah. yeah, totally. It's
1: like you get on an orbit. So the the thing is to 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 recognize that feeling and to know that that's, you're never separate from that. You're never apart from that. You're always that. It's just that sometimes you get lost in a thought or an idea or a concept. Right. You know, you get... Because
2: this whole thing becomes another thought. Yeah. You know. And and the thing is to understand who who the thinker is. Yeah, or know? not even to
0: understand, but to know. To know,
2: absolutely to know. And that's yeah. that's that's that's, the that's what I'm part.
0: saying. You know, mm. to go to that place where you are quiet with the thoughts. Mm. Yeah, lets you be in the feet the knowing mm-hmm. place.
1: Yeah. Although thoughts never stop, and that was that was what I was going to say. Yeah, was thoughts um, are like a screensaver. So you might be sitting there peacefully meditating and then a thought pops up. And it's just like you're being reminded that you're awake, just like a screensaver on a computer is there, you know, to come up to say, hey, the computer's still working. It's just like I'm on I'm on quiet mode. And that's really what the thoughts do is because we have how many thoughts in our head? We probably have millions upon billions of thoughts, which are the names and labels for all the things we've ever seen. Because you can't have a thought about something that you don't know what it is. You'll be looking at it and you're like, I don't know what that is. Until someone names it, you know, you don't know. Mm -hmm. So the thing is that those thoughts are always going to be coming up. And we don't actually have to get involved in them. And, you know, that's the trick.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think as we're embodied, as we're in this experience, we have this mind that's producing thoughts just as you're describing. And we can also know who's the knower yeah. and observe yeah. the fact that there are these thoughts going on in this mechanism of mind totally. that we're also dealing with. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. But often we forget that perspective yes. and we're just enmeshed in the mind which is where we get back to it's you always, think you're your thoughts.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's always that we take the knower for granted. You know, that the seer of the thoughts is always taken for granted. That's how it's supposed to be, you know. The That's what keeps us in the game of yeah, living. Yeah, absolutely. So we always take ourselves for granted. You know, we forget, you know. Yeah. In identifying with everything, the identifier uh, it keeps going. This whole game keeps mm-hmm. on going until the game eventually s- slows down because you no longer have to refer to because once the knower is known, once the questioner, the question of the question na is answered, then everything's finished. Mm-hmm. You know? But life
0: is very and then uh, that's where that insistent. But that's, yeah, when yeah. The, that's when the
1: that habit
2: of identification yeah. is yes. insistent. Yes.
1: yes, and that's where that idea of lila comes in—the right. play, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah. To between, enjoy it, to just enjoy,
0: experience the wonder of it. Yeah, yeah you absolutely. can just
1: enjoy everything. The, so
0: the most complex story ever dreamed <laughs> up.
1: So oh, coming yes. to New York is like that because yeah. you know, like. Come like I lived in New York and I took it all so seriously, and now I'm in New York, but I can't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm just like this is so funny.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Everyone's having a blast. Look at them all; they're going crazy mm-hmm. here. I mean, in a beautiful way. I mean, everyone's yeah. enjoying their lives, you know.
0: Well, they're all very intent on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, it's, it's yeah.
0: a religion. Yeah, this, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The
2: identification.
1: Because I guess, you know, we've been living in a place, that you know, where it's just completely natural, like we're living in a place where there's just birds and butterflies and trees, and we're building a retreat center there. We want to bring people there to experience themselves themselves Mm -hmm. in, you know, and nature and that amazing healing that comes from that. And so it's a a very, um, you know, you watch nature all the time, it doesn't. It's just peace. It's pure peace, pure love, pure joy. You know, you're just looking at that it's all the time. It's easy to
2: be reminded of yourself in nature. Mm-hmm. There's no individuality there. You know, obviously coming into a place like New York, there's individuals everywhere. You know? <laughs> <Right>. Difficult. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's harder, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. to, to separate yourself from that and have a break, you know, mm. and that's why I think people do need Family, to.
2: Family, also difficult, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The people that are closest yeah. to you remind you rather than. Um, of nature, of self, they remind you of your individuality as much as it.
3: mmhm.
0: So yeah.
2: those are the tricks.
0: It's harder to see yourself in the cycles totally. of everything that's yeah, going yeah, yeah.
2: on. That's why even in... The, I was the thinking cycle about this here this is this morning,
0: milliseconds. <clears throat> yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: So in a tradition, traditionally, they once you, you get the teachings and everything's clear, you've assimilated them and everything, the advice is not to go back to your village. hmm so they'll know, just pull you back. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you'll just re-identify <laughs> right, right. with all of that
1: stuff. You sure. know. But that's where the practices are key. This
2: is where yoga comes yeah. in so strongly nowadays mm-hmm. for us. Because how can you not go back to your village? Mm-hmm. So yeah. our idea is, yeah, you, we come back in the village, we're here, we're in the village, we're in whatever, New York is a village, you know, as much yeah. as India is a village. Yeah. you know, And and the practices are the self-help that keep reminding you the
1: aftercare.
2: The aftercare, yeah. yeah. They keep reminding you of your true nature, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Every time, you know, whatever the practice is, you can right. come back to that. I mean, Beautiful. we a- we actually practice twice a day, and yeah. we have done since we met. Mm-hmm. He makes me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great.
0: The discipline is there.
1: The discipline. Well, yeah. He's Peter. I mean, Peter. Yeah. But, you know, there's that, you know, that strong element of discipline. No, I mean, you can't
2: carry on in in such an environment without having something to pull you back. Right. You know, but then again, I think that the complicated, the practices have been complicated. I think it's just a simple practice, you know, you don't need a huge complicated practice. Yeah,
0: I was going to ask you about that in terms of your book and in terms of the diabetes too, because you as a, like an asana practitioner have range of motion and strength and lots of you know you like the yoga practice that people think of when they look at yoga from the outside yeah that was something you excelled at and has that changed? it's completely changed yeah
1: yeah so basically john introduced me to a sequence called ishtamala Mm -hmm. which is a garland of poses which Mm -hmm. are always the same and which work the body really you know evenly um Standard standing postures, but the seated pose practice is actually what I do, which is um, moving forward and back. So it's got a lot of counterposing in it—forward mm-hmm. bends and backward bends—and it's actually you know contracting and stretching the fascia, but it's also working into the nadis and helping the energy flow more efficiently through the body. And it's very calming and restorative. And I always struggled with um, being feeling ungrounded when I was practicing. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of imbalance when I lived in New York City. Um, and having this very consistent and regular practice which is grounding and restorative and simple. I mean we've been, we do it in 20 minutes every mm-hmm. day um, has completely sort of revolutionized how I feel.
3: Right. I really
1: notice it when I don't do it. Um, and but what's in the book is actually, um, three different sequences for people according to their individualized constitution. Right. So that's which a is little
3: an bit
0: yoga concept Which is kind of, of the issue. Practice to one I was going to ask you is that practice that you introduced Rachel to? it's, so across it's individual.
1: The board. Yeah. It's okay. for all it's constitutions. It's up to the
2: individual to decide what suits them. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's a, it's available and adaptable to individual time yeah. frames. Mm-hmm. You know, because time is a huge thing. So depending on how much time you've got and your ability, that determines what you want to take out of the practice. I see. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: So it's not like a fancy practice. Right. You know, it's just a it's regular... Not easy. Well,
2: mm-hmm. It's You know, it's actually designed in, in its nut is to keep the nadis clear, you know, and pure, and then to basically enable the person to sit and then start doing the kriyas and the pranayama practices. Mm-hmm. And to so be able to sit and, and have leverage in the breathing.
0: And do you practice meditation after that practice, after that asana mm, practice? Thing. we do separate
2: that in the morning, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. We so, do an hour and a half to two hours of kriya,
0: pranayama,
1: breathing. and breathing in a sort of a very dynamic sequence, which has many different aspects to it. And like, for instance, with me, I mean, John slowly taught it to me, and then I took a lot, many, many years to build up the strength, to even be able to sit properly, to be able to do the breathing, to do the retentions, to do the, the faster breathing aspects. I mean, it's it's still a journey for me, because again, you know, dealing with chronic illness, some days are better than others. Mm-hmm. And, and it all comes down to Ojas, So immunity. And you know, if you don't have the right diet, if you don't have, um
2: let's explain what
0: ojas is. Okay. So in in yeah, terms right. of Ayurveda,
2: uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ojas is, is the final. It's not the final. It's the kind of intermediary stage of, of of what the body secretes once it's secreted the, once it's got rid of stress in the body. Once the body gets rid of the stress, then it takes care of the seminal reproductive system and reproduces the reproductive fluids. Then comes ojas, so it's the juice of the body really, you know, that it, it uses to survive, like the juice of a plant. Yeah, like the, the, the Tony, life
3: And the life it's force. The life force. So it's yeah, emerging merging prana and
2: shakti together, mm-hmm. and, and becoming it, the, the immunity of the body. And
1: it, it coats all your nerves as well. Yeah. So when you're lacking in immunity and ojas, you feel, have that, sen- that feeling of being overly sensitive and affected by the external environment. So the, what a
0: lot of us are having as we go into fall and it starts yeah, drying out and yeah. getting windy and
1: so you know really what, what, what we're doing with the practices these morning practices is we're building immunity building ojas
2: along with diet mm-hmm. yeah. so moderate diet mm-hmm. careful, sensitive about what you're putting into the body you know
1: because you feel it as soon as you hop on the mat. And that's something that- And
0: their Ayurveda comes in too, yeah. Yeah, different, absolutely. different, different doshas, you need to pay attention to the diet yeah. because it's gonna be different from yeah. one person Compete. to the other. Yeah. yeah. So we and eat... I noticed in your book, you have charts about different doshas and uh, ways to identify which dosha one is.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, really fun part of the book actually is like I, I think go of it into as like
0: the, the glamour magazine
1: yeah the part. personal <laughs> description you know who are you really and people love that because like oh I'm like that oh yes I'm exactly <laughs> like that you know and then it's like okay this is the sort of practice this is the sort of meditation you need this is the sort of um diet that would suit you I mean I don't go too much into diet because that's a minefield in diabetes mm-hmm. because some people just like to eat whatever and inject and other people mm-hmm. want to really go low carb or they want to go paleo or they want to do this or do that. So um, that's a that's a big subject, and that's a subject of another book. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this one, it really is, you know, the Ayurvedic approach. And that's what I really, you know, that's the gift that I received from Alan was when he sat me down and said, you've been doing the wrong practice your for whole you. life.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You need to do this. And that was sort of the starting point for me. And this is, you know, really where a lot of this um comes from in the book is you know what i learned from alan in those early days about my constitution and ayurveda in general
3: right
1: and then you know applying that specifically to diabetes because ayurveda has been treating diabetes for over four thousand years (laughs) so they should know something about how to manage the condition (laughs) yeah
0: i hope you're enjoying this edition of peter's podcast we'll get back in a minute I wanted to invite you to become a subscriber. By that, I mean sign up to download it regularly from wherever you get your podcasts, but also to support Peter's Podcasts on Patreon.com. Patreon is a great funding site that lets me make this podcast without the need for product advertisements, which I think is nicer for both of us. You can subscribe there for any amount you like. There's a link in the show notes at peterspodcast.simplecast.fm, or go to patreon.com slash peterspodcast. Here's the rest of our interview.
2: But it's fascinating, you know, how Ayurveda, yoga, you know, Vedanta, Advaita, whatever the Panishadic wisdom, it's all joined together. There's no separation. There's only one reality. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) exactly, You know, and, and to deal with your body is an ongoing situation and uh, you know to deal with it with a diabetic situation going on I don't think is any different from dealing with it for any other conditions that we're suffering from you know it all comes back to the the Nadi's you know it's all sun and moon um, and once your Nadi's are all powered up with Ojas and, and the Shushumna is full up with Ojas then you've got everything at your disposal mm-hmm. you know so and to get that the Kriya yogis have, have been doing that, the Siddha yogis, you know, have held that secret forever, how to do that with the body. Mm-hmm. Part of, part of um, my, while I was still studying with my uh, Advaita master, my Vedanta master, I was also uh, journeying into central nadu and spending a lot of time with uh, the Kriya Siddha yogis. Um, who I, I spend more than a lot of time with, but um, who then introduced me to all, all these kind of Kriya Siddha practices and so on. Um,
0: so there's the, the Kriya Yoga line that came from Babaji through Yogananda. Yeah the, yeah that then, or is this the same line.
2: Well it's actually the line of Yogananda but it goes be so it's actually Babaji's guru. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Babaji's guru guru.
2: Yeah, so so it goes from Yogananda, Sri Swaraji to Lahir Lahiri right. then Babaji, then you get this guy called Boha, okay. Bohanata, and so his whole lineage is a dynastic tradition which resides in a place called Palani, and it's a fascinating story. But, you know, it's a big story yeah, for another time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's massive. Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So that the kriya practices. So while I was studying with my Advaita master on the ashram, every day I was doing the kriyas um, and uh, really exploring them at, at length and in depth. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I think that's something that you can't point out enough. That practicing in depth yeah. is the thing that bears the fruit. No? Totally,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Because
0: we are such a dabbling culture yeah. now, you know, like, oh, I just read about this and I should try that, you know? oh, yeah. and it almost, d- it, this is maybe too bold of a statement, it almost doesn't matter what you choose if you just go deeply enough in it, Absolutely. because of this thing ah. you said about all of it points to the same thing. Yes, you know,
3: yeah, that's, think, yeah. that's where the
2: ishta thing comes in, because whatever that your is, is your ishta is Dev, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you are worshipful of that. Yes. that will bring you to the truth yeah. eventually
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean I think it's consistency 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 Oof, yeah. and I think yeah that's you know as a, as a person who's been doing yoga since I was 17 mm-hmm. you know and getting up every day I don't you know I hardly take a day off it just, I couldn't imagine my life without yoga,
3: mm-hmm. you know, without
1: practice, without contemplation, without gratitude, without dedication and focus, and and also giving back, you know, because it's like part of that moment on the mat, yeah, you know, it, it's not about being self-centered, it's about having enough energy so that you can really help someone else, yeah. help others, help the world, whatever it is, you know, it's like a... Giving so that, you know, receiving so that you can give, right. you know, so right. you might be hopping on the mat every day for 20 minutes, but it's like, how much energy will you have available to you so that whoever you meet, whoever you come in contact with, you know, touching them is helping them.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I think you know yourself and then you learn what it is that you're giving. Like, what is my gift to the world? What am I here for? And then you can give that.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Totally. I
2: mean, just reversing back a little bit to what you were saying, I mean, the, the Ishtadev thing and going into what you, you love the most, you know, it could be baseball. Right. you know what I mean? Right. And that's energizing you and making you, you know, do whatever you do. Yeah. It could be the new iPhone whatever, 10. Whatever. Yeah.
1: It is the iPhone 10 now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I spoke about Colin Kaepernick, this football player, in the previous podcast, and how he's doing this demonstration at football games of kneeling um, in protest right. for the way African Americans are being systematically treated in the States, right? So, like, yeah. there. Absolutely. That's such a yogic act. Beautiful. Right? Selfless. Yeah. He's, in fact, lost his job over it. Oh, wow. You know? So.
2: Really? Yeah. But. <laughs> Whatever we worship, mm-hmm. whatever that brings us to the depth of, of ourselves, really, at the end of the day.
1: And yeah. isn't that, like you always say, you know, giving up the giver? It's yeah. like in I the mean,
2: end. Well, this is the thing. I mean, in in any act of devotion, you're going to give up the giver. You know, you're completely delirious about what you, you're devoted to. So, And it's the same in bhakti. It's the same in baseball or football or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Whoever your god is, you're going to give up whatever you can for that mm.
3: yeah.
2: it's a natural thing we all understand the act of worship but we don't see it as worship anymore
0: yeah you know yeah we see worship as going life. into the temple yeah, yeah.
2: but now it, this, we've got all we're the worshipping right we just understand, don't understand why
0: <laughs> what it's for right yeah right. And, right. and what's to come of it
2: absolutely yeah, yeah. It's and if you want I mean that's pure tantra you know?
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> weaving it back into life
2: yeah yeah, yeah. So, we're doing it all day long. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Let's go do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for this delicious conversation. Thank you. It yeah. was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad we have you around New York for the next six months, five months.
1: Yeah. Months. I mean, basically, we'll be heading out uh-huh. mid February back to the uh-huh. West Coast, but we'll be around. Great. Yeah. So, So, and
0: there's a chance to catch you at Ishta, which I don't know if it'll happen before this goes out, but I mentioned it. Well, I'll
1: be teaching Mm -hmm. on Thursday, November 2nd, Mm -hmm. but we're doing a workshop together on the 10th of December. Perfect. It's called Understanding Oneness, and John is our special guest speaker, and I'll be taking everybody through the Ishta Mala sequence so they can actually experience it for themselves.
0: Very cool. And where is this going to be?
1: At Ishta. Great. On 11th Street. On 11th Street. Manhattan, New York, USA. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can just find the details on the website. It's already up there. Great. And we'll be there. Cool. All right.
0: Namaste. 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 I hope you enjoyed our interview. One last request. Judge me, please. I'm thrilled at the number of people who are subscribing and listening to Peter's podcast. In today's digital marketplace, ratings help expand my audience. Will you please take a second and rate the podcast? You can do it by scrolling down from the Peter's podcast icon on your phone app or check the show notes for more info. I'm teaching a meditation training with Alan Finger and Sarah Finger in December and a 300-hour teacher training in January. I also teach regular asana and meditation classes there. See ishtayoga.com for details. Thank you so much for listening and
3: for spreading the word. Namaste.